Hello, and welcome to another Banking Transform Solutions podcast. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. With consumers strapped for cash during these turbulent times, traditional and non-traditional financial firms have expanded their financing options to support consumer and merchant needs. One of the newest solutions modernizes the old school layaway or retail installment loan offering for the digital world. Buy now, pay later concept allows consumers to take possession of merchandise before they've actually paid in full with access at the point of sale. We are joined today by Greg Leshevsky, Vice President, Global Pay Later Products at PayPal. He discussed the marketplace opportunities for the buy now, pay later solution and how this can become a win, win, win for all parties involved. When I was younger, my parents took advantage of layaway programs where retailers allowed you to set aside a larger purchase and pay over time without a credit check. Picking up the purchase later, it was really simple and very popular. Buy Now, Pay Later is the digital version of the layaway program. It has also been very popular with millions of consumers taking advantage of the solution and more and more companies jumping into the competitive fray. PayPal's Pay Later solutions can help merchants drive conversion, revenue, and customer loyalty by providing consumer options to flexible payment options. By leveraging technology to help make financial services and commerce more convenient, affordable, and secure, the PayPal platform is helping empower more than 403 million active customers and merchant accounts to join and thrive in the global economy. So Greg, before we get started, can you share a little bit about your background and your current role at PayPal? Yeah, sure, Jim. Hi, it's great uh, great to be with you today. So uh, yeah, I run uh, the PayLater products here at PayPal. And prior to that, I spent quite a bit of time in the space that was commonly now mainstream is buy now, pay later. So I, I grew up in credit card at MBA, but at the forefront of sort of technology and product. So I've been in banking long enough to uh, have worked at a bank before there were websites. But fortunately, that changed pretty early in my career and got the chance to build a lot of first-generation web experiences and products at that time. And then, uh, gosh, 15 years ago, became the head of consumer product and marketing at a a little alternative finance company called uh, Bill Me Later, which in many ways was the uh, the OG of of this buy now, pay later wave, just sort of a, a generation earlier. And we were acquired by PayPal 2008, coming at the heels at the, of the last recession or a cycle. Been five years there. Really great time. I stepped out for a few years, founded a company uh, in the space, uh, buy now, pay later space, which I eventually sold to a bank in the Midwest and then been back at PayPal about two years to bring PayPal to sort of the modern period of buy now, pay later with uh, newer products, shorter term durations, and do it not just in the U.S., but on a global scale. Well, it's interesting because the whole evolution of the buy now, pay later uh, marketplace has happened so quickly. You know, you you look at the primary target market for buy now, pay later, and it really is a younger consumer, but it has expanded. But as Gen Z grows up and begins using the power of disposable income, what do companies like PayPal and other companies need to consider? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, your opening around layaway is, is really interesting, right? That was really about our parents managing yeah. their cash flow right. to get us the goods or things we needed for our day-to-day lives or, their, or they need it for their day-to-day lives. Um, you know, the Gen Z adoption here is a little bit different. And, and what people should really pay attention to is what's driving their sort of preference for, for buy now, pay later solutions. 
or just solutions in general. And yeah, you know, I think there's a couple of key themes to think about. And yeah, you know, one that we've really sort of started talking about more and more as we started to analyze is this whole subscription lifestyle that is just part of who they are, how they get their media. They pay for X dollars a month, whether it's Netflix or whatnot, how they consume their music with, with Spotify, you know, heck, how they are even getting their wardrobes in many cases on sort of, you know, this re, perpetually re, uh, replenished subscription thing. So we talk about that as a subscription lifestyle and buy now, pay later sort of fits into that in the sense of, you know, I know I have 50 or $100 discretionary to spend every two weeks, and therefore I'm going to buy a good or service. It's going to cost me 50 or $100 every two weeks. And, you know, that renews every six weeks. And, you know, that's one of the big drivers of, of this, this newest wave of buy now, pay later, which is really short duration, you know, $150, $200, $250 um, AOVs. Dovetail that with, um, you know, the, the rise of technology, Mobile for sure, which obviously is not new, but it's ever adopted and again is sort of uh, just organic, 100% organic to to Gen Z. So it, that's given the rise to what we call nonlinear commerce experiences. I start in one channel and I pick up and might finish in another channel, um, and I might I might go back and forth between channels through the journey. And then last but not least, I would say, you know, they're looking for fair, transparent products, particularly in the credit realm modern and tech forward, all of which, you know, has been sort of met, that demand has been met by newer upstarts in the buy now, pay later space. And you know, certainly here at PayPal, who's been at the forefront of digital payments for gosh, a couple of decades now, you know, we, we, uh, we're making sure we're adapting to, to sort of modern Gen Z oriented expectations. So when you talk about the nonlinear commerce and omnichannel experiences, that kind of sounds sim- similar, like they're almost the same thing. Are they? You know, that's a great question. Uh, and I agree. When I first started thinking about it, I'm like, what isn't this just the idea of like offline and online and the lines are blurring? Um, and that's, you know, omnichannel is meant to cover all channels. So that online, offline world. Nonlinear is more about the customer journey and how it can um, hop between channels uh, on the same day, in the same hour, or across multiple days. So, you know, maybe I'll just use a use case like order ahead for your coffee, right? Um, I'm getting ready to start my commute in the morning and I want to pick up a latte on the way to work. I go to my phone and I order the latte and I stop by at my local Starbucks or my Dunkin' Donuts and I pick it up. That's nonlinear. Or uh, if I'm a Gen Z person to take it to retail now, I'm interacting with Instagram or TikTok. I see an influencer. I see an outfit I like. You know, more and more, I can engage with that outfit. I can order it. I can pick it up at the local store, or I can I can ask them to set it aside so I can try it, and then I can buy it on my on my mobile phone. So so nonlinear is really about the journey customers are now taking that that blend you know, truly do blur the line between online and offline. And and really, it's funny we we've been in this conversation for just a few minutes, but the number of times we've used the word engagement is is really becoming the foundation upon which everything is built. I mean, be it Amazon, be it yourselves, be it other organizations, we're really talking about how do we drive engagement overall with the consumer wherever they are, basically for their advantage, aren't we? I mean, it's not it's not driving it just for the buying process. It's really saying, how can we provide a better experience in the lifestyle for a consumer through better engagement, correct? 
Yeah, no, that's 100% right. I think, you know, you know, dove to, intersecting with nonlinear, you know, where brands and, and financial institutions likewise is it's you, you need to more and more meet the customer on their terms, where in their journey they're looking to, quote unquote, be engaged. And, you know, it can be a little intimidating because in many ways, you know, what's really happened is technology and newer solutions have really given the power back to the consumer. And you have to tailor solutions with the customer at the center. And yeah, that can be a little daunting. If you even think about, uh, you know, in this space of buy now, pay later, or the layaway program we talked about, and if you if you bridge those two with private label programs, as an example, you know, private label programs in many ways were about the brand being at the center. You know, I, as a retailer, was at the center. My customers came in the door. Um, they were looking for goods and services from my brand, and I gave them a way to finance it. Um, or pay for. And in many ways, I then monetized that experience, right? So you had these large private label programs spin up that became really big um, financial contributors to retail businesses. Uh, I, I, will, I won't name names, but you know, there's one jewelry case I'm thinking of where it's, it's sort of like, you know, it's, it's a credit card business that happens to sell jewelry, right? right. They, almost, they right. almost pivoted completely away from the, you know, what I'm sure, you know, 50 years ago, they were founded to literally sell jewelry. And suddenly, the credit business was big. What technology has done is given the power back to the consumer. So it's no longer you can only get a layaway or a private label program where a big bank has decided to do a deal with a relatively big merchant. You know, it now can happen online and it's happening at the largest of online retailers. But through companies like PayPal, who you know has 400 million plus merchants and consumers on our network, 30 plus million merchants, you know, we're really democratizing out this capability. Um, to merchants of all sizes. Um, and in doing so, we're, we're empowering consumers to take value propositions with them where they want to shop. Um, and that's important. It's important to realize the customer's in control. And, it, and the sooner you can sort of accept that, the more you can adjust your solutions for that. But it can be a little frightening because you're, you're, you're handing over control which comes with a little bit of risk, but one I think is worth taking. Now, what's interesting is when you talk about the consumer and the overall engagement process, we're really talking about the, the consumer's desire for speed and simplicity and embedded solutions that make it so I only have to tap once to go from point A to point B, whatever that may be. And that that's not just in the digital world, but in your omnichannel experience. So can you walk me through how this new dynamic of speed, simplicity, omnichannel, nonlinear, and even subscription lifestyle relates to PayPal's pay later solutions? Yeah. So, you know, to that point, simplicity is key to this as well as, you know, fair and transparent. And, you know, I'll just go, I'll go back to that example of, um, you know, start with the Instagram influencer who's debuting, you know, not just, it's not just fashion, right? It could be, a TikTok chef debuting like the set of knives you should buy or whatnot. And that's where you sort of see product, you get interested in product, you get driven to trial. And then when you want to, then when you want to take advantage of that, the happy part of shopping, right, is like getting excited about buying something and then ultimately getting it. It's not paying for it. Like that's sort of like <laughs> the dud moment in, in retail. It's like you get all excited and it's like you get into this line and you have to you know, go through the process, you know, pay later sort of and PayPal specifically you can really help streamline that. So suddenly, if you're looking at a $200 dress, which which you know for many people is quite expensive, four payments of $50 lined up with your paycheck, you know, that's that simplifies and, and makes it possible for you to sort of purchase the item you want. And then if you use something like PayPal, which 
you know, hundreds of millions of consumers are familiar with, I don't have to do, you know, pull out my wallet and start keying in information or hand over a piece of plastic. I tap a PayPal button. I use the login information that's just top of mind to me. Our pay later solutions are embedded in that checkout experience that have been used, you know, now for two decades online. Um, I already have my payment instrument on file with PayPal, so I don't have to put in the debit card that's going to be the payment instrument ultimately for it. Um, you know, so it's all simplifying that process. So you go from that wow moment of wow, look at that, look at that dress, or look at that knife set, or um, look at that vacation opportunity, uh, to to ordering it and then receiving it, and you know. The payment was there. You understood the terms. It's there. It's transparent, but it didn't get in the way. It was simple. It wasn't a burden. Um, you know, that's that's really what the products are all about: streamlining and getting people from desire to to uh, ownership. So, from an operational perspective, from a consumer perspective, do I have the choice then of, of hitting that PayPal button and either paying it for it immediately, or you give me the ability to just say, you know what? I'm going to put this on layaway. I'm going to put this on a, a, a pay later scenario, but I can do that instantaneously with just a single push of a button and the secondary one if I want to change my option. Yeah, Jim, that's well said. In fact, the way we have organized checkout now at PayPal is pay now. So use one of your traditional funding instruments, whether it's a bank account, a debit card, a credit card, or if you have a balance with PayPal or pay later. Yeah, that is PayPal. It's pay now, pay later. Um, and if it's pay later, you pick, you pick uh, pay and for, and you know, because it is ultimately still a lending product, there's a couple of steps in there to make sure you understand that you're signing up for an obligation to repay. Um, but it's really streamlined, uh, and then you're on your way. And, and regardless of whether you chose to use your debit card or split it in four, um, you end up with the same PayPal experience, not only during the transaction, but post-transaction. So you'll get your confirmation email from us, and you'll be able to log into your PayPal application your PayPal app, you know, through the mobile app or, you know, web or mobile um, uh, browser and, and track your spend and your tra- activity, et cetera. So, so it's interesting. This is really a win, win, win. I mean, obviously it's a win for the consumer. It gives, it gives them control. It gives them choice. It gives them tracking. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of transparency in this whole process. So you, you get your PayPal statement. But it also helps the merchant because in some cases, I may have already decided to make the purchase and I just decide how I'm going to pay for it later. But in some cases, I may be at the merchant or I may be on the site, whatever it may be. I may not be sure if I want to buy something, but the knowledge that I have the ability to possibly put it on layaway or credit by pay letter basis makes it so the merchant benefits and obviously PayPal benefits in this equation as well. But overall, it's an experience that really transcends all the the entire buying experience doesn't. Yeah, win 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 is a great way to sum it up. And you're right. There's it's a, you know, we're a two sided network business, um, and obviously we're the third piece of that because we are in business. And yeah, you, you you did a great job summarizing there. And and for the merchant, you know, in many ways, it's all the same advantages um, when you partner with PayPal. It the value prop, particularly pay later, helps pull people through the funnel. They might be at that point of consideration and. Say, well, you know what? I'm going to typically they might say, oh, I'm going to come back in a month or a couple of weeks when I get my paycheck. Now they can make that purchase today, or they might add an accessory or uh, add an extra item to the to the cart. Um, the difference, though, which you know I think is also applies to the layaway reference. The difference in this case, though, is they don't have to manage a program, right? They don't have to have a part of. The, and I remember these programs too. 
know, they don't have to have a part, uh, you know, in a physical world of, uh, in the back of the store where they're holding inventory and they're tracking payments and people have to come in and out every couple of weeks. Um, you know, PayPal takes all of that risk. So from a merchant perspective, they're able to move the goods today. PayPal uses its uh, data at great scale to make a decision on extending this sort of small amount of credit to a consumer. Um, and it takes the risk on the on the repayment. So the merchant gets paid, you know, as if they would for any other PayPal transaction. So they get the money up front. And because they're already doing business with PayPal, it's all embedded in their PayPal relationship. It's all part of their processing. They already have the tender type integration, you know, the operational stuff, returns, exception processing, financial settlement, et cetera. You know, you talked about that simplicity factor again. And I'm thinking about if I'm at a merchant, you know, many merchants have their own program of a, a, a pay later type program, or there may be other competitors in the marketplace. But this is where the PayPal brand really plays a major role in that if I want to buy something, I don't have to make that subsequent decision as to who do I work with to buy it. It's an organization I, in most cases, most consumers already have a relationship that's already gone through all the dynamics. And again, it's simply a push to the button and, and not a dis, not an overt decision process that expands the overall process of wanting to purchase something. As you said, the worst part about buying something is having to pay for it or having to decide how I'm going to pay for it. But the, the reality is that the simplicity is, is really a really big benefit from the perspective of not only the merchant, but from the consumer and not having that additional layer of saying, what way do I go with this? Correct? Yeah, yeah, Jim, 100%. Two two pieces to that. One is the brand trust, right? So we've been in business for 20 years. We built a lot of trust on both the merchant side and the consumer side. Uh, there was a, a report out recently that ranked us as the number two most trusted brand um, in the world, actually. And that's really important in payments because not only do you not want to pay for something, you don't want to create extra risk when you do end up paying for something. So you know, there are only so many ways to say four payments of $50. So we do think our brand... Um, brings real value there from a merchant consumer perspective. The second part of that um, that, I, that I wanted to highlight is because PayPal has been an online payments business for 20 years, we have really wide distribution. You have 30 million plus merchants globally. And in the markets where we operate, what that allows us to talk to our consumers about is you can have buy now, pay later features from PayPal essentially everywhere you can shop online today. You know, and hopefully that's online and offline in the future because PayPal is already there. And because there have been a rise of new competitors who've been good for driving innovation and bringing solutions to market, um, but they don't have ubiquitous coverage. They're very, it's very fragmented still. So if I'm a consumer and I'm, you know, I'm looking at buying a pair of uh, sneakers, I might go to one merchant and I'll see a solution from partner A. I want to buy a pair of jeans. I go to another merchant and I see a different provider. I probably haven't heard of them. So I have to do that extra calculus of like, is this a company, I, you know, the merchant trusted them. So if it's a big merchant, there's definitely a halo effect from a brand, right? So if it's Walmart or Target, it's like, well, Walmart wouldn't put something up. I'm not trusting. But there's, you know, 10 million merchants online in the U.S. So most of them are not named Walmart. So there's that element there. And then if I'm buying two different items at two different merchants, suddenly I have two different accounts to manage after the fact. Yet at both of those merchants, let alone if it was four or five or six merchants, PayPal is likely a payment option. And therefore, you know, PayPal's there, PayPal Pay Later solutions are there. So we bring brand and trust, but we also bring ubiquitous coverage or near ubiquitous coverage to consumers. In the financial services industry, in the merchant world, buy now, pay later is, 
while it's only got a, a probably a lifespan of maybe a year, it's certainly known by most. But one area that I was thinking about the other day was I would imagine that this whole dynamic of pay later really impacts conversion rates for the merchant, doesn't it? And I, it's not something you initially think about is I'm not in the merchant business, but for them, something that breaks off an abandonment rate of a, of a purchase, something like that, really impacts the finances, especially in an online world where they get engaged and not engaged. You got extra marketing to do. Does this, does this really help the conversion rate on a merchant uh, process? Yeah, it absolutely does. And I'll use another throwback reference to demonstrate the power. So you talked about layaway earlier. You think about the old Sunday paper with stuffed with uh, circulars for retailers. And, you know, typically if you pulled out the, the retailers in the more durable goods business or the furniture business, so, you know, whether it's electronics or furniture or mattress, you know, those have had financing solutions on them forever, right? You couldn't flip a Circuit City ad without seeing financing on every page for the expensive TV or, or whatnot. And, you know, uh, probably still true at Best Buy if they still do circulars. I, I'm not really sure. What's changed, though, is financing typically was larger AOV, you know, four, five, six, seven hundred $700 plus. Typically, it was 6, 12, 18, 24 months, almost always had interest, and was only available to the biggest merchants because that's where it made sense for banks to partner because they needed to scale, or in specific verticals like furniture, where they're like really healthy margins, so it it you, know, you can make the economics work for a for a sort of somewhat over uh, you know pretty heavy customer experience, pretty operationally expensive thing to run. Now, because of technology, mobile, fintechs like PayPal and others, you really democratize it for all players. So, um, and and to your original question, all to the benefit of driving conversion for merchants and payment flexibility and choice for consumers. So the earlier in a flow or a journey, merchants let their customers know that they're going to have payment cho- payment op- payment choice, payment flexibility is available. And now you go down to $7,500, $200 purchases. That absolutely helps drive conversion. It's interesting. You talk about the history of PayPal. I referenced PayPal this week as a legacy fintech, which is really interesting that we actually are talking about you know, we're not we're not talking about MBNA here, but we're talking about <laughs> legacy fintechs, and and PayPal is really that. It's a, it's a big organization, but it's also one of the first fintech organizations that most of us knew. Now, buy now, pay later has seen incredible growth in the last eighteen months. A lot of it outside the normal realm of who we would have considered our payment providers. Why and how has this come from? Where 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 does this growth happen, and why so quickly? Yeah, it's a really great question, and that's a it's it's a great term. I might borrow that from you in the future. Legacy fintech, <laughs> um, you know. And, and I uh, I jumped from bank to fintech. You mentioned MBA in two thousand six, so that's fifteen years ago. And and PayPal is older than that yet. Um, you know, and fintech wasn't really a category, nor nor was buy now pay later. But what's given the rise in this last 18, 24, 36 months? It had been building, right? So you know, coming out of the two thousand eight recession. Lending was one of the few industries that were slower to get back on their feet. From a fintech lending perspective, it really started in the B2B space. Then it went B2C on like consolidation loans, Lending Club, Prosper, et cetera. Um, and then it was 2013, 2014, 2015, where a lot of the companies that are now sort of common, common names started to develop new products and bring them to market. 
of picking a firm, you know, Afterpay in Australia, they didn't come to the U.S. until the last couple of years. Uh, you know, my own company, BlissPay, was on that forefront. You know, PayPal was there the whole time, but you know, focused on growing right. its core, its core distribution. And you know, it was late eighteen, early nineteen. Uh, Klarna, it, it would be another. You know, where traction started to build, Gen Z and you know, millennials started to drive this affinity for the, this newer type of buying solution. And and the growth curves were pretty good if you track it in eighteen nineteen, they were they were decent. But then, you know, last March and April of twenty twenty, you know, everyone's world changed with the pandemic. And you know, in those early days, if you remember in, in banking, it was sort of like, oh no, this is the next cycle. Everyone thought two thousand eight was a cycle that they'll never see again. This was completely different. This was, you know, a cycle inside of a pandemic um, that. You know, kept people at home, forced them to shop online. Not that online shopping wasn't a thing, but it accelerated. Right, McKinsey talked about ten years of adoption happening in a span of a few months, um, and it brought great uncertainty. Was I going to be able to leave my house tomorrow? Was I going to have a job? If I have a job, am I going to get paid? Um, oh my gosh, I better manage my cash flow. At the same time, when uh, distribution of new pay later solutions were just hitting their stride on product pages and earlier in that funnel. And, you know, this, this sort of industry momentum with the pandemic was just, um, you know, a real once in a, once in a lifetime type inflection point where really strong growth rates became astronomical growth rates. Um, you know, and just drove to, to really mainstreaming of the solution. It's basically table stakes now for a retailer to have a more modern buy now pay later solution, certainly online. And I think, you know, offline is becoming more and more important. Uh, and it's always been important at the big box stores. I'm talking about like the you know, regional and you know, variety type retailers. And I think that's really it. I think the last 18 months or whatever the math is on the pandemic really just ignited a, a industry by now pay later that was already growing. Uh, it just bent the curve even more. Um, the likes of which, you know, none of us have ever seen before and hopefully we never see it again, for this reason anyway. Well, it's interesting too, because it made it so we couldn't define exactly who the target market was. I, I talk about the people that forego their mortgage payments. In some cases, they forego their mortgage payments because they couldn't make their mortgage payments and feed themselves at the same time. In the other cases, people were foregoing their mortgage payments because they were allowed to defer without any interest impact and build up a savings account. So in the same way, a buy now, pay later, if you really wanted a TV or you need to replace your washer and dryer, this gave you the ability to take risk out of the equation, say, I can buy it, I have the money, but I can buy it without a negative impact financially. At the same time, I can, I can benefit. What have you heard from companies that are actually using pay later solutions? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's pretty consistent. It's, we're attracting new customers. Uh, well, and it sort of splits, right? The early adopters were like, wow, this is attracting new customers. Um, it's helping me drive conversion. Uh, I'm getting really positive feedback in terms of like uh, experience and loyalty. Um, and then more recently, it's been, oh, wow, everyone has it. I better get in the game, right? I better I better offer it. So there's a bit of, there's a bit of a FOMO type of experience where it's like, wait a second. Now suddenly my competitor set has it. I need it. And then vertically, it's like, well, what's fashion doing over there? You know, you see it spreading to beauty and automotive and other categories as well. So, so mostly it's been all positive. It's, it's, I am truly getting conversion. I'm getting new customers. I'm not taking on any more risk. 
And with competition, you know, pricing is pricing is being lowered as well. If you're a merchant. Well, you also see this situation of the speed of innovation. You know, the the difference between a fast follower and a mainstream and a, a laggard has really shrunk. I mean, you, you you have to be pretty on top of your game all the time with regard to certainly in the payment world, in the payment innovation space, that it continues to change at such a pace that, you know, merchants and consumers, everybody else really stay on top of these things, don't they? Yeah, that's exactly right. The, the pace of change is fast. And if you're a merchant, the great thing is it's never been easier to take advantage of you know, many of these tools, particularly with the rise of platforms. You know, and I'm really thinking about the medium and smaller businesses now. You know, there's not large capital investments required to add extra features to your sort of infrastructure that you know in, in the past would have required you to be pretty capital intensive. Is now you can rent, you know, just like customers and subscription lifestyle on the business side. You know, with the move to SaaS and platforms, you know, you can rent features, functionality, et cetera. And it's really naturally democratized because of companies like PayPal and others. You know, big commerces, the Magentos, the WooCommerces of the world making it available so so small main street retailers can compete with uh, their big box competitors at the at the end of the block so greg you know you look at paypal a big brand but you don't see a whole lot of marketing for paypal in the marketplace you see it in the the icons and the logos and all that is this partially because you're really taking the engagement and experiences and stay so on top of the marketplace as far as how those happen, that word of mouth becomes your primary marketing, that really the experience drives the marketing of PayPal? Yeah, you know, I'm a product-centric person, Jim. So I'm always a believer in great product experiences ultimately win. Um, You know, that said, you have to let the world know about it. And given that, we are uh, we have such broad adoption in the e-commerce space, and we have such strong volumes from a from a uh, e-commerce flow perspective. Yeah, we really do bring the power of our double-sided network to play here. So while we're while we're constantly partnering with merchants and talking to merchants about how to help them increase their conversion and their sales, and we do spend quite a significant amount of resources there, um, we're able to add this feature to our wallet where we're seeing millions and millions of transactions and therefore drive adoption. And then consumers can turn around um, and let their friends or their neighbors know about the value props that are, that are available to them. And, you know, we do run consumer marketing programs as well. And, you know, we're getting now, uh, we're ready to enter the holiday season here. So I think you'll start to hear more about uh, some of the stuff we talked about earlier in terms of PayPal's ubiquity, our coverage, and the fact that, you know, PayPal is the one place to go to if you want to pay now or pay later. Okay. And, and finally, you know, we we're really talking about, as you as we discussed, a fintech firm that has been in business for a long time. To keep that fresh, to keep innovation fresh, you really need to have somewhat of a disruptor or a challenger mindset. You got to keep that going. How does that happen to PayPal? How do you keep the challenger mindset in place organizationally so that you're always viewed as the front provider in this space? Yeah, that's a really great question. And you certainly cannot get complacent because the competition is coming. They're here. It's here every day. Yeah, we're very cognizant of it. I I like to remind people, uh, you know, I, I often will, will talk about internally, you know, we have multiple credit products at PayPal. You know, pay, bill me later, 
still exists. We just changed the brand. It's called PayPal Credit. It's a really big business for PayPal. Um, and you know, having spent some time at a bank, what tends to happen is it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to launch a new product because it's going to quote unquote cannibalize my other products. And you know, the reality is it's already being cannibalized. The question that you really should ask is like, do I want to cannibalize my own products or do I want somebody else to? So if you if you if you have an inside out view, you kind of get it's it's kind of a false guide because you're looking at your own impact to your own products. When in reality, if you have an outside in view, if you have a customer centric view, um, if you sit still, someone's gonna someone is gonna cannibalize your product. I like to think, and I think at PayPal we do a good job of this. We'd rather you know quote unquote cannibalize our own products than watch the competition do it. So you really have to live in a state of constant, perhaps paranoia is too strong a word, but you, you just can't, you can't sit still because sitting still is going backwards because competition is not sitting still and you have to, you have to stay current. Yeah. That's really a leadership and culture issue though. And I think, you know, you've been in legacy financial institution. Now I'm not going to, MBNA was by no means a, a, what I'm going to call a normal financial institution. They were, they were a FinTech before FinTech was even a word, but the reality is that's the difference between the legacy banking environment in many cases, not all. And the fintech space is the the leadership and culture of I've got to continually reinvent what I do, serving my customers. Putting it's the difference between customer centric and customer obsessed. Um, and and even when you look at some of the recent communications that's been out there around making it so PayPal becomes a platform people continually want to access. You know, I'm I'm getting to the point where I'm figuring that loyalty overall is how often am I going to access a specific app? And I'll tell you, I'm a I'm a I'm a major user of PayPal for my business, both on an income and an outflow basis. And I probably look at my my PayPal account daily for one reason or another to to look at what's happened, to look at the payments, but also to see what we are doing from a business standpoint. So, you know, interesting perspective on a on the challenger mindset. So Greg, finally, if somebody's interested, not that it's hard to find PayPal in the marketplace or online, but if somebody's interested in the the pay later scenario and, and, and the different solutions you have, how do they find that out? Generically, obviously, they can certainly start at paypal.com uh, and just look at our pay later solutions. Uh, but for your audience, if anyone's like really interested in going further, I'm happy to share my email address, which is just gregl at paypal.com. So I take the... Uh, the complicated spelling off <laughs> off the table and just my last initial. But yeah, you're uh, you have a really fascinating audience. If someone wants to learn more, um, yeah, I'll, I'll try to pay attention and uh, to my inbox and, uh, and get back to someone in a uh, reasonable time. Great, Greg. We we knew it was going to be a great conversation, and it was. Um, you know, we we certainly have been bombarded with a buy now pay later solution discussions but you brought some new perspectives on into the marketplace that uh, i don't think have been covered before and and certainly for not only the consumer marketplace for the bankers but also for the merchants so thanks very much for being on the show today yeah jim it was a real pleasure to talk to you i appreciate the time thanks for having me thanks for listening to the banking transform solutions podcast a new podcast that focuses on innovative solutions for financial institutions we would like to thank paypal the sponsor of today's show if you're a solution provider wanting to discuss how you can help bankers and credit union executives solve a major marketplace challenge, drop me an email. We are keen to help. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, audio engineer, Sean Roll Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. 
I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember, consumers will respond quickly to financial solutions that meet a need. It's up to us to respond to these needs at digital speed. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.